Welcome to Stop, Hack, and Roll, a podcast about taking the entire Apocalypse World hack you've been working on and throwing it out the window. I'm James. And I'm Brandon. Today we're going to be talking about knowing when it's time to start over by examining James's new game about the strangeness of academia. So yeah, you've been working on a lot of those games that we've sort of had in progress because, well, for one, we're going to Metatopia in November. So uh, I'm not bringing anything this year, but you are bringing... I'm I'm bringing Pasión de los Pasiones as my official playtest. It's gone through some major rewrites, and we're going to come back to that another time. So yeah, I think that, I think, in fact, uh, we are going to be talking about it in two weeks. Oh yeah, I think you're right. Because that will be our pre-Metatopia episode. The State of the Podcast episode. Yeah, we're going to touch sort of touch base with where we are, uh, where we'd like to go in the future, talk about the games we've been working on, and sort of uh, preface what you might see and experience at uh, Metatopia. But that is not our topic for today. What's our topic for today, James? Today we're talking about... This big dumb game that I've been working on for months. <laughs> is, months. That the, is that the working title? This big dumb game I've been working on for months? It doesn't really have a title. <laughs> That's one of the problems. But um, specifically so, what we're going to talk about is the fact that it was one thing and now it's another. Because when we started working on it, it was going to be a Powered by the Apocalypse game. It's a huge departure from the kind of stuff that we normally do. Well, it was, I think, one of the first games. It was one of the first games that I seriously started working on, and it was before any of the other games we had done, I think. I think you're right, actually, that that has been... that that was the first game we were working on. It had some sticking points, which is what caused delays, and ultimately those sticking points led me to want to go a different way with the game. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about today. All right, excellent. So let's start out with just a quick touch on what the game is, even if we don't have a title for it. Okay, that's pretty good because that is kind of where I started. I I had a story that I wanted to tell, and and sort of the, that's kind of the way I, I, I approach a lot of hacking, I decide that I have a story. Well, it's the way I approach gaming. I have a story that I want to tell. I look for a system. If I can't find a system that does that directly, I find a system that might do it indirectly. And ultimately, I'll find something that comes close, then try to hack it to make it work with the story that I want to tell. And then you'll use fate. And then I'll use fate. (laughs) Because, (laughs) really, it all comes back to fate. So I wanted to tell a story about college. Uh, Uh, It all kind of started with me where I went back recently and I read um, The Big U, which is a book by Neal Stephenson. And Neal Stephenson is a really great science fiction author. He's wrote a bunch of things like Snow Crash, The Cryptonomicon. Recently, he wrote Seven Eves, which is a great book about uh, sort of a space apocalypse, (laughs) which is really not a great explanation of that book. But um, he wrote this book called The Big U which has a really funny story. It was one of the first books that he ever wrote and he hates it. He hates it (laughs) so much 
that as soon as he had other books that he could make money off of, he told his publishers to stop producing it. But then he wrote Snow Crash and the Cryptonomicon and some of his bigger books, and he got really famous. And so people were like, looking into his past. Let's get our hands on Big let's U. Let's get our hands on, these, on the Big U, because it's this big, rare, it's his first book. And so he discovers that they're selling on eBay for like hundreds of dollars. And he goes, no, 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 no. No one should have to spend hundreds of dollars on this terrible book. The only thing I hate more than people actually reading this book is people paying lots of money. Put it back into publication. And the book is in softcover publication constantly now, because that way no one will ever spend more than like $6 to buy the book. Heaven forbid anyone have to spend more than 10 bucks. Yeah. So I like it because without getting too much into my love of science fiction and Neil Stevenson is an author, it's a raw, it's a raw form of his writing. You can tell he's a much younger author. Um, but I think it has strengths that apparently he can't see. But largely it's a book about his experience at Boston University and the sort of trials and tribulations of being at a big university. And one of the things that I like about it is that it starts as this sort of story of people who are just struggling to make their way through college with all of the like typical things that college students deal with from just social obligations, trying to either join or stay away from uh, sororities and fraternities, dealing with overwhelming classes, and then like the just sort of brick wall of bureaucracy that stops you from doing things sometimes when you're at a big university. And then while everyone is, while all of these like different characters from different walks of life are dealing with all these same problems, weird things start to happen. There's a group of, of, of role-playing gamers who are LARPing in the sort of sewer systems under the big university. And they what start, a bunch of nerds. I know. Um, and they run into real, honest-to-God, dire rats. Okay. <laughs> and it turns out it's all because like there's all these crazy things that are happening. Um, the, like, the janitors who work for the, the university are making some money on the side by storing nuclear waste under the school, which is causing weird things to happen with the rats who are eating it. Okay. And um, one of the sort of social organizations starts worshipping a big sign, uh, and they become this crazy cult. Someone, it's, it's an older book, so someone steals all the... Uh, the cards in the card catalog at the library. And then there you get these like groups of people who will like steal whole sections of books or you have um, like Sherpas who will help you find books because they've memorized the card catalog or That's sections amazing. of it. Uh, and so like, and then all the while these characters are still trying to go to class and get their, their education because they're spending all of this money and they can't stop because you'd have to like unenroll yourself, which would mean you'd have to engage with the bureaucracy of the college, which is just unfathomably dense and impossible to deal with. I'm actually getting a media link that I hadn't thought of previously when hearing this idea. Mm -hmm. It's sounding a little bit like college meets welcome to night vale. Yeah, that's a great that's a great example, yeah. That it's kind of absurd and crazy and weird and a little bit frightening. Yeah. And so my idea was I wanted to tell this story about sort of the the, the struggles of being in college 
and being in that part of your life, sort of rediscovering who you are, dealing with other people around you, rediscovering themselves, dealing with the stresses of class, the stresses of, of the sort of college administration, um, solving problems in the dumbest ways because that's how the college wants you to do it. And then on top of that, introducing sort of surrealist, um, not quite Lovecraftian, but sort of Lovecraftian issues. So you get back from dealing with the registrar and you go to use the elevator and there's the mascot holding a axe in the door. Yeah. 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 I like and that. I like to, that kind of story. You have to deal with that. And so it's a little bit like, and so, and the idea that I wanted to tell was have a variety of stories. So like it could be something as simple as, um, like the card catalog gets stolen. There's nothing supernatural about that, but that's a big problem if you are in the past and card catalogs are still a thing, but it could also be that the psych department is removing memories from people's brains or the physics department has developed time travel and it's causing weird ripple effects or the health department is actually making a Frankenstein's monster. I left 15 minutes late for class and I got there 45 minutes early. Yeah. And that would be really weird. And maybe the first couple times you wouldn't notice you think you were just wrong when you're one. Maybe your watch is off, but eventually it would start driving you nuts. And then you start to investigate. And then you start to investigate. And then it's kids on a bike, except your college kids on a bike. That's definitely what I was aiming for. And so I think that I hopefully I understand it's kind of a different, a difficult concept and I'm working on that pitch. So hopefully that was pretty good. James, one of our previous games is about mice that are Mexican wrestlers. I think yeah, people that, would be a little disappointed if we said we were doing a, high fantasy. That has a snappy pitch, though. That, like, that's, that's really easy to understand. When I initially started working on this, I wanted to do it in Apocalypse World because, like we said, uh, at that point we hadn't really done anything in Apocalypse World. Uh, we had been playing a lot of Masks, and we'd been playing a lot of Urban Shadows, and I, we hadn't even begun to think about doing a podcast and I wanted to do, I wanted to work on hacking this game in this new game system that I had discovered, uh, that you brought to our group. And one of the things that I really liked about it was the character creation system. Yeah. I liked the way that you had playbooks and those playbooks played off of archetypes. And so I had this crazy thought that couldn't, couldn't you do that? And then each of the playbooks would be specific to a major. And then you could have an archetype playbook per college major. Right. And so that's where we kind of started out looking at things. And I remember we were generating a lot of potential moves for different majors and things like that. So most of the characters were starting to have kind of a supernatural, weird science vibe to them. Yeah. And my idea was sort of that every every different like department had its own weird that was specific to that department. And that as you sort of leveled up and progressed in, in year and in the, and in your major, you would sort of like start off just having this weird sense that there was something odd about your major. And then later you would be like inducted into the secret society or taught how to read people's minds or whatever it was specific to that major. And so all the different characters would be bringing their own sort of brand of weird. And when you threw that all into a big pot, you'd have a lot of interesting, weird melding stuff. And I liked that. And that worked really well with the story that I liked. And I like 
that Apocalypse World character creation hands you a lot of archetypical things for the characters. It plays off of stereotypes, gives you those big lists of things to select one or two from, gives you lists of moves um, to pick. And all those things were things that I really liked about Apocalypse World character generation. Yeah, in a big way, Apocalypse World games are the ultimate genre bacon game. That you know what you're going to be playing because you are handed a piece of paper that says dwarf and says all of the dwarfy things you think about dwarves. Yeah, and so in that way we could build, and, and did build, different playbooks for different majors, build weird into them based off of stereotypes that you or I or our friends had about those majors. Uh, or weird things that I came up with, and then build that into the characters so that as you were playing, you would naturally play toward the weird of your major. Yeah. And I thought that, would, and I thought that was going to be a great way to start. I and think it was. Also, something that I think was appealing to you about Apocalypse World was that a lot of the games are driven by the characters having interactions with each other. Yeah. And that, I think, is a big part of academia game. Yeah. At the time, we called it Academia World. Uh, haven't really come up with a great title, so it seems weird to call it Academia World because it's not Apocalypse World-based anymore, though. Yeah. We'll get there. It was the first time that I had really tried to engage, and I don't know, I can't speak for you, but maybe it was also your first time trying to engage in doing a very serious hack. I wanted to not just sort of just reskin masks or something. I wanted to sort of take more of a Dungeon World route and sort of build more mechanics um, we came up with a really interesting multiple like slotted character concept where you would pick two concepts of, I think we had, um, you, every character had a stereotype of who they were in high school and then they would pick their major. And so that way not everyone in the same major would be exactly identical. Right. So you could have a stoner mathematician or a jock yeah. mathematician or, and I, and I think toward the end we had even had. Um, you would have an extracurricular, and that would sort of be a third slot that you could change in your character sheet. And then each of those things would have a couple different moves that you could choose from. Um, and so it would give you a lot more character, like a lot of, because most, most um, Apocalypse World games, they give you, you choose a playbook, they give you one set of moves to pick from. And our idea was, what if you had, what if you could mix and match and choose from a couple different lists? It's interesting because I've seen that come up with a couple of different games now. Uh, Uncharted Worlds is the one that's coming to mind. It seems like that's something that people have played with. It hasn't been something that's taken off with a ton of different games. I know that you can do class warfare for Dungeon World to create your own character class, but it's definitely something that people haven't really worked with a lot, which might suggests that it doesn't work well. It might also yeah. suggest that we just haven't hit the right implementation yet. But but it was an interesting path, and I yeah. thought it was something that we hadn't seen a lot, and it was a, it was a path that was giving us a lot of um, variety in characters, and I was concerned that the game otherwise would have just been a little shallow. From a practical standpoint, I think at one point we had people cutting and pasting <laughs> different pieces of paper onto each other. Yeah. To yeah. build the character sheet, and so sort of from a practical game design standpoint, I couldn't decide, we couldn't figure out how to like actually make it work. Well, that I think was something we were kind of looking at because we were like, "Oh, this seems this is cute. This is like the freshmen going to their 
dorms and having to put yeah. up the different signs and stuff like that. But it is an added step. I like arts and crafts during character creation, but I know that not everybody does. Yeah, I think at one point I even went so far as to have uh, your extracurricular was going to be a separate page with those like tear off um, tabs. Like yeah. if you want to learn how to fence, call this number and that the different activations of your extracurricular move would be you tearing off that, that sheet. So sort of, um, uh, it was just a weird, like I like tactile things in games. Um, the game was really tactile for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did. It got a little, uh, unwieldy. I think in part that was looking at some, some feature bloat. Yeah. Well, and ultimately that gets to uh, why I decided to step away from uh, from Apocalypse World. From the beginning, I wanted more ability for the players to choose and customize things for their characters. And I was struggling to find enough switches and and levers and knobs for for the players to change to make their characters sufficiently customized within the same playbooks. And I, we sort of, in, in my my attempts to try to find that in Apocalypse World, I came up with this character creation system that was unrealistic and, and nutty. So we kind of hit a dead end where we just weren't sure what to do. And then I took the strategy of, I'm going to write a different game because I can't figure this out. Which, which is honestly, it's a strategy that I really like. I, it's, <laughs> we joke about how we have like dozens of games. But one of the things that I have found that actually helps us is that when we hit a wall in a game, and this is sort of general hacking tips, um, I just walk away from it (laughs) and we try something different. And we've joked about having 20 games and rolling a D20 and sitting down to do that game today. (laughs) And then the next day rolling a die and doing that game that day Um, or having a big wheel or whatever. And so we moved on to different things. Um, I think you started on... uh, Passion. Passion. Um, and sort of ultimately stumbled into Luchadora Tone later on yeah. and stuff. And so we had, I was working on a steampunk game, uh, which didn't really, didn't really work out because I was, was a little too ambitious. It was using Mahjong, um, right? I think at one point it was using Mahjong. I yeah. definitely remember it using Mahjong. I have a problem where I start by trying to come up with a ridiculous new core mechanic and then work backwards. And that's the wrong way. That's the wrong way. Um... So it, it just sort of sat, and we were actually talking about this before we started the podcast, that the folder it's in you know, on our shared Google Doc has like dozens of documents because we just kept trying to solve it in different ways. And it just sat unused. And then one day, after I had sort of given up on the steampunk game, uh, but had learned some things about that, uh, about making games through that, because that was really the second game that I was ever, I'd ever worked on, um, I kind of had a breakthrough, and I sort of threw everything out. And that was hard because we'd have a lot of, we actually have a lot of stuff written and I might have to go back and turn that into something. I think uh, we've got probably like 10, 12 moves on just clicks. Yeah. We could make a very like extracurricular social game. And so I really, I realized that it just, uh, Apocalypse World was, it, it had its benefits, but one of the things that I personally struggle with is moves. I don't quite get moves. Like, I understand how to use them when I'm playing the game. I was really struggling to write moves in a way that I liked, and they were one of the things that I was really struggling. Uh, I was running into a wall with Apocalypse World. And so I said, what if 
what if I just stepped back and, and start over? I have a really good core concept and I've learned some things and like certainly the, the basics of character generation, you have a list of like styles for your character. You have a list of extracurricular activities. These are things that I like and we can carry over, but something about the, the rest of the move system wasn't working. And so I decided to engage in a larger project of remixing a bunch of different games together. So here's how I approached this. And, and, and honestly, this will probably be how I approach uh, all of my game hacking in the future or game making in the future. And what I, what I did was I sort of sat myself down. I said, forget about Apocalypse World. Forget about everything. What's the core of the game? What is the story that you want to tell? And so I refreshed the whole thing with the big U. I thought about inter-student drama and and social conflicts, and how that's and how I wanted to tell stories of that being interrupted by weirdness. And so I kind of just said, no system, past the stick style. What would a game look like? I already have some rough character creation stuff. That's fine. I can probably keep some of that. Where's the first, so we sit down to do the first scene. What do we do? You, cause you have your characters and then, and then every time I ran into a, a problem of not knowing what to do or not knowing where to drive the characters forward or eventually, um, once there was conflict that needed resolution, that's when I found, I tried to find a system or a mechanic to deal with that and did nothing until I found it hit that point. So when I needed a way to tie characters together, I went and found a system to tie characters together. When I needed a system because I needed characters to be able to do things, I went looking for that. And so as a, as a result, the game is this sort of remixed hodgepodge of a bunch of other games from where I've, I've as, as I walked through in my head, the, an average game session, uh, waiting until I found something that needed that resolution mechanic before I added a new thing to the game. And so it started very light. It was just going to be sort of basic apocalypse world style character creation. You picked a playbook. I still have playbooks. Um, you're picking your major. Um, a lot of the sort of character descriptions and backgrounds are in the apocalypse world style, you have lists of things that you circle one of for your look, your hair, your, your clothes. Someday, I almost think we should do an episode on selecting things from a list like that. Yeah. Because that is possibly my favorite advance in role-playing game writing since The Forge. It's, it, it's weirdly elegant. For what it, it's basically just a list of things. It's so easy, but it makes such an enormous difference. I just I I can't hear that without talking about how much I love that. And the thing that I love about it is that even though you're only selecting one of them because you're reading through the rest of them, you're getting a the, the game designer is saying, okay, maybe you're picking the military uniform, but here are the other kinds of things, and oh, all of the other options are a naval uniform, a military uniform, a space uniform, a superhero uniform. So this character is a character who's always going to be in uniform. They're defined by their by their formality. And so even though you're only picking one, it's it's a line, it's a simple list that is telling you about the character. Yeah, you you look at a character and it says, Oh, you can have 
uh, messed up hair, dirty hair, scruffy hair, and you say, oh, this is a character that kind of looks dirty, which means they get into stuff that is dirty, and that's awesome. And when you add two or three of those as part of your, your character creation, by the end of just that, you've helped give people an idea of what they're supposed to be playing oh i love it so much and i love the names names are so evocative and they're so hard i'm sorry i had to gush about lists for a second no it's good it's one of the things that i kept for a reason Because I, I knew I, I knew I still wanted characters, and I knew I, I liked playbooks. I like people who sit down at the same table. Everyone has a playbook, and those playbooks tell them different things. And so you're approaching like because you don't need to know necessarily the larger mechanics of a game to play an apocalypse world game. You sit down with your playbook and you look at it. And like my favorite example of this is comparing the bull to the nova in masks. Yeah, And you look at, at your, if you're a Nova, you're looking down at your playbook and you're seeing all of these spells and different ways to charge and you're looking at it and you're thinking, okay, so this is a character who wields cosmic power and struggles over controlling that and, and dealing with it. And then you look at the, the bull playbook and it's like one line of here's how you punch things and then one line of you're in love with somebody. And also you are super in rivalry with somebody. Yeah. And so there's you're also maybe in love with. That's important. On your big list of things to do, uh, it's basically like punch stuff. Yeah. So you're like, okay, I get it. I'm thinking back to our game of Serenity, where I played a character that had zero combat skills of any kind, and spent the first 1d4 rounds of combat in combat paralysis, and couldn't see well enough to fire a gun, and most of my sheet was held up with combat rules. Yeah. And it's that useless. It's so useless. Yeah. Because you made a character who was not going to be in combat. Yeah. So that right off the bat, half your character sheet is useless. Yeah. And You'll I mean, never use it. sometimes he was in combat, and I would roll it, I would hope for a four, so I didn't have to make any combat decisions. So I started with the characters, because the characters were what was important to me. Remind me again what... Noir World calls its strings. Hooks. At least at Metatopia 2015. I know that John Adamus has said that he's made enormous changes to it. But I liked this idea that you had a couple questions you would ask, or you would answer, and those those questions would link you to other people. And then so I answer my question, and then that, that forces you to answer a question about me, and then we pick two other people, and you create... And so answering these questions... You create this huge web of interconnectivity between all the characters. And I wanted that it's to draw the mechanic. characters together. Um, it's hardly so, even a mechanic. It's just great storytelling. It is, yeah. And and specifically one of the things that I wanted about it was um, I wanted there to be a lot of of drama, of sort of... Uh, I, I, I knew that I didn't want there to be a lot of physical combat because we aren't superheroes. We aren't... We aren't supernatural villains they're college students college students generally don't get in physical contact with in physical conflict with each other except rarely i think Um, we could probably count the number of physical conflicts you and i got into in college on a single hand yeah but the way that 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 college students have conflict with each other is social they talk about people behind their backs they 
they spread rumors, they tell lies, they, they hurt people emotionally. And so I wanted to have these hooks between people. Um, and I wanted to allow them, I wanted to bring a system of lies basically into the game so that you could lie about people. And so a lot of the questions are things like, who saw you doing a thing you shouldn't do? What did you tell someone else that the third person did? What, um, who did you spread a rumor about and what was that rumor? And so you start off the game with all these interweaving, um, sort of insidious, not, not terribly dangerous lies. Um, but enough that there are things on the table that if the other character heard about what you were saying about them, uh, you'd confront them. So I actually have a little question here. Okay. There are a couple of games that I know, I'm thinking of Fiasco and Monster Hearts specifically, that you are playing characters that are terrible people almost Mm -hmm. all of the time. Is your plan with Academia game to have the players be terrible people or just be people that are sometimes dishonest and trying to make their way in the world? I think it's more of the latter. Okay. They're sometimes dishonest. I think it's the, and, and, and only some of the, like, cause again, all of the, these dramas that I've written are specific to the, the, the major. Right. So there true. are definitely different, like different character, different playbooks, different majors have different dramas. And so some of them are more about spreading lies. Theater some majors. Of them are more in, hmm? Theater majors. Yeah. Some of them are more, um, you did something under the extreme stress of studying for your chem test. And it's something that you regret, but who saw you do it? Okay. That kind of thing. And so, because I wanted the first couple scenes in any of these games to be social conflicts between players. Uh, I wanted them to, to confront each other. I wanted you to have reasons to have scenes with another person to backstab two other people. I wanted people, I wanted players to form like huge webs of social conflict. All of which was important to me that it remained broadly mundane. Right. One of the things that I did while I was hacking this game, when I threw away everything, was I said, what are the things that are true about my universe, about these stories? And the number one thing that I wrote down was that conflicts between students should be mundane. Students attack each other socially. They hurt each other emotionally. And when someone says something mean about them, they say something mean about that person to somebody else. And so sort of all of my, one of my guiding lights then from that point on was setting up characters to have social conflicts with each other and then give them tools to create more social conflicts with each other. So once I had gotten past that initial step of throwing away everything I had learned, I had learned and done in Apocalypse World, um, I got really comfortable with doing this thing of following a route, uh, coming up with some game mechanics, realizing it doesn't work, throwing it out, starting over. And so I had a whole system of point buys for uh, of ways for students to tell rumors about each other, but that ended up being a little bit too much. So the idea then is from a narrative standpoint, you start off sitting around the table with other players, trying to unravel and engage in these social conflicts. And while you are focusing heavily on that, 
the GM starts doing things in the background. You told a rumor about an NPC that that NPC ran off crying and now they're gone. No one has seen them or something else weird happens. The GM starts poking and I have a series of GM moves that I'm still kind of working on where the GM starts to introduce supernatural elements or weird elements or whatever into the game. That could be something that a threat clock would do nicely. Yeah, um, that's definitely something that I thought about. That was the thing that I actually was working on for the steampunk game. Yeah. yeah, of a, a, a broader clock building up in the narrative. And I like that. And so I'm probably going to bring something like that in. One of the things that I wanted, like one of the moments that I wanted to try to get to was you've been engaged in social conflict with this one person. You've been telling like the worst rumors about them. But now they're the person who has the critical piece of information on how to stop the, the like like the Frankenstein's monster that the biology department has created. And you have to decide between working with them and solving this problem or like shunning them because of all the nasty things you've said to each other and letting them die. And then maybe everything goes to hell. There's an interesting statement about writing games. I want to say it's from Ron Edwards of the forge fame that, but it could be that it was someone else. It may have been, uh, I think Paul Sega uh, saying that you want to write your game in a way that you are deciding what is the most cool thing that your game will be able to do, Mm -hmm. and how do you get people to do that thing? And in this case, the cool thing... Well, okay. Yeah, so in this case, the cool thing that I want to happen is that moment where you realize that the person who has the skill to get everyone out of the situation, who you have to ask for help, is the person you've been belittling and berating and and sort of trash talking all session. And that in that moment you might think about not asking them for help and letting the college sort of collapse in on itself because of the social conflicts. <laughs> and then you have to decide what to do. So uh, so I have a list of majors. I started with what I thought were pretty a pretty wide group I personally went to a liberal arts school, so I think a lot of it leans liberal arts. I have English, chemistry, psychology, computer science, history, music, and business. Um, I have a list of rumors that you might have heard about that department, because a lot of the the game sort of lore is going to be, oh, you've heard that the history department does this, or the music department does that. And that would be sort of um, GM... Uh, things that the GM could pull to use for stories, depending on which characters were in the game. Um, I have a list of some dramas, some questions to hook people to each other. Everyone's going to have two, I think, right now. One is what is something sort of what what is something that you know about somebody else that you shouldn't, and the second one is what does somebody else know about you? And that way, you kind of have a positive and negative drama okay. you have to deal with. Great. So I searched a long time for some kind of a core mechanic because I wanted, and this is, this was where I ran into a lot of trouble. Um, and I'm still not quite sure if it's right, but what I wanted was I wanted a sort of light social mechanic that would give you ways to do research, to do some studying for different things. If you're, if you're, if the conflict you're trying to solve was passing a test for example, or something like that. Um, or 
just different. Like I didn't, I didn't want like a huge skill system, but at the same time, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted something more robust because in that moment when the the psycho killer is chasing you down the hallway, you need to have something to roll to not trip. It still might need to be two resolution mechanics. I thought about having a system sort of split in half, having a lighter social system and a, a, light, a slightly more sort of robust physical system to deal with. But I kind of at one point thought that one of my core universal rules is that students don't engage with each other physically. Um, they do fail at these kinds of things because they don't have a lot of experience. Well, why don't you just not give an option to physically engage in combat with another student? Yeah, and have some kind of a thing that says, if you physically engage in conflict with another student, explain briefly what happens. Maybe someone gets a black eye, both people look embarrassed and stupid. Yeah, that's kind of what I did. But I wanted the, that a, a sort of a physical conflict resolution mechanic for when and if they start running into monsters or supernatural or whatever. Right. That's when the physical conflict. And so it was kind of a question of how do I give them a physical conflict resolution mechanic, but not let them use that to fight each other. The thing that I'm sort of the most proud of, it pulls in some things that I've been thinking about a bunch of other games is the class. I don't know what you call it. Like the class list. It's the, the curriculum. It's the, it's the curriculum. It's the classes that you're taking became the core mechanic. And it's really, they're hidden but their fate aspects is what they are. And one of the things that, that, cause I like fate and I like aspects. I like the idea that you as a player are coming up with something that is going to live in the game with your words. And that's just something, and that's something that like that one, that was where I was butting heads with apocalypse world because everything in apocalypse world is in the wording of the game developer and you're choosing between their things, but the moves are, are words that are written by the game developer. And I wanted more things for the player to write. But the, the problem that I have with fate is that sometimes when you're sitting down to make a fate character and your GM says, all right, make a first aspect, you just get dead silence for a while and then an awkward word or two. And so I wanted to have a system that led you more directly, sort of in the way that Apocalypse World games lead you by the hand to the genre. I wanted to do that, but let you make that final step. And so every character is going to have a sort of list of questions about the curriculum um, they will have to answer. And but you get to you get to choose your own classes. So those questions are things like what what is the class that you're looking forward to take this year. Um, what is the class that you are dreading to take? What is the class that you have to take to fulfill a gen ed requirement? And then some of these will be different based off of the major and still within this playbook, which is still more complicated than a, than apocalypse world playbook. Um, you'll have basically a new character sheet for every year that you're in school. And so for your second year or third year, you might have questions like, what was your favorite class from last year? Maybe you choose one of the ones that you had previously written down in your last character sheet, or maybe you make up a new one that you just didn't talk about. I like this a lot because it introduces the option of giving some kind of wacky classes. Yeah. Thinking back about my 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 personal education, 
when I was taking a class on animation, because I was a film major, so I took a class on animation. And in that semester where I was like reading books on animation, watching old school animation, watching new animation, I knew more about animated film than I've ever known in my life. And as soon as I moved on to the next year and stopped taking that class, I, I, I definitely retained a lot of that knowledge. But I certainly didn't know as much about it as I did in that moment when I was sort of neck deep in it. And so I liked this idea that, that, that college students are heavily affected in who they are and what they can do by what classes they're taking at the time. And that while you might always remember what you took in, in like in the knowledge and the skills you gained in Psych 101, but you probably don't remember them as well when you're a senior as when you were a freshman. I'm taking fundamentals of anxiety disorders, so everyone I know has an anxiety disorder. Yeah. Yeah, you start to see those things around you. Have you ever noticed how these chairs are, like, really renaissance art? And so another the other thing that was important to me was that college is about reinventing yourself. And so every time you start a new year, because the, the last sort of campaign ended, you're playing the same character, but you get to choose new aspects by answering the questions differently because you've sort of reinvented yourself as a character. Do you have an idea of how long each semester should last in terms of game? Um, not really. So the, the rough sort of story arc should be characters begin uh, having social conflict with each other, getting in touch with each other, teaming up, all sorts of sort of mundane things, addressing the mundane right. issues. And then the GM will slowly introduce the sort of supernatural story or the whatever metanatural, supernatural, <laughs> um, bizarre, surrealist story that they're going to introduce. And then the characters will begin picking up on it and dealing with that and struggling with each other and so on and so on and so on. Okay. Um, and if you can fit that all into a one shot, then boom, there's your, there's your story. Okay. Next session, do year two. You could, I could see it being done in like playing four years of college in four sessions. Yeah, I could see that also potentially. If the stories were told sort of quickly enough, quickly. And if things. But if you wanted to sort of slow burn it and and build those that weirdness up and really dig into the characters, yeah, you could run four to six sessions per per year or more, whatever you want to do. That will have to be something that I deal with if I work on a sort of weirdness progression clock right yeah so so everyone has has like a four or five classes that they've written i'm gonna have a bunch of examples <laughs> the examples that were done in the notes were the biology of domestic animals and hypotheticals of astrobiology i think those are the two that i had written i like hypotheticals of astrobiology I like that also. <laughs> it was it was me trying to come up with two biology classes that were unique and interesting, but totally unlike each other. Right, yeah. Um, and then everyone is going to have an extracurricular, because that was the thing we started with, and I like that. So that's kind of the... Um, it can be whatever, but the idea is that it's sort of the physical activity that you do. It's, it's the sport you play. It's a unique, non-class-related skill you'll pick up. Um, that will be part of your problem-solving toolkit, we'll say. I do World of Warcraft raids every night. Yeah, and so that guy is not going to be the one who's jumping up and punching people, but maybe the, that person knows how to lead a team. Or right, they, they the, know tactics. Yeah, they know tactics. Or the, the fencing person doesn't have really that many uh, 
physical skills, but they know how to use a sword. Yeah, they know <laughs> they know how to use almost a sword. And they know how to use a foil. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so then the so then the question became how do you take these this random list of aspects and turn them into a mechanic? And Fate's answer is you have a, another unrelated list of skills, uh, and you use the aspects to generate an, econ- an economy of Fate points that you use to boost or alter your rolls on the skills. I didn't really want to do that. I don't want to have skills. I barely play with skills when I play Fate games anyway. <laughs> um, so I wanted some way for these things to be to be their own mechanic. And this was the, the time where I started going down a path of gumshoe. I was looking at the way that gumshoe dealt with things because I liked the idea that uh, an aspect of this, uh, the game is going to be research and sort of investigation because again, we're trying to hit that sort of kids on a bike, but in college in night Vale <laughs> motif. And so I played, I played a little bit of, of gumshoe at a con I went to and I've been reading bubble gumshoe and and there were things about the gumshoe system that I liked and, and things that I didn't like. But one of the things I did like was gumshoe characters have investigative abilities and general abilities. And okay. you sort of put points into them and you build up little point pools. And that's sort of how you interact with the game mechanics. So right. I liked that. I didn't quite like, and I think I still don't quite get how gumshoe works, to be totally honest. So I have this list of classes and I knew I wanted them to work into the into the mechanics somehow. So I sort of pulled this idea from Gumshoe that you would maybe put a certain... You'd have a set a number of points, and then you would distribute those to the different classes. And okay. somehow that would relate to the mechanic. And so what I'm doing now is sort of, sort of roughly saying that dice represent time. And so you're sort of... The, sort of the, the mime, the pantomime of this action is you sort of scheduling how much time you're going to spend in each class. And so if you decide you want to put a lot of points in one of your classes or the other, then you're saying that you're going to dedicate more of your, your week to spending time on this class. Okay. Then another. And then, so you have a little pool of dice for each of your classes. And when you have to do a skill or, or, um, whatever role to resolve a conflict, you have a relevant skill for because of the class you're taking those are the dice you roll. And then they'll each have a, a success level. And then the number of successes you make is uh, how much you succeed. In Gumshoe, if you sit down and interact with something, say you read the Necronomicon or you read a book or you interact with a character, you can be granted temporary pools of a skill you don't have. Right. And then and you maintain those points for as long as you have them. And then once you've spent them all, that pool goes away. And so I liked that. And so, and that worked out with, we had a really involved studying mechanic in the yeah. original Apocalypse World version <laughs> of the game. Um, and I liked that and I wanted to bring it back. And so one of the things that's going to happen is if you sit down with a bunch of other of your friends and you study because you're researching or whatever, um, you, the GM will come up with a pool that is relevant to that thing that you've studied and everyone will get a small pool of dice for that thing that you researched. And okay. that's the way that you sort of, if you need to, um, if you've discovered at this point that the history department is unleashing mummies and you don't, no one has a relevant history class because you don't have a history major, 
then maybe the rest of you go to the library and do some research of ancient Egypt, and then the GM says, all right, you've done a lot of research because you've successfully passed a different role. You all have your different classes that might help how uh, might influence how you study and find things and stuff like that. If you succeed or how well you succeed at that study role, I haven't quite worked that out yet. Some kind of a group role. So it's um, almost like making a making an aspect, creating an advantage in yeah. debate. Except yeah. you're putting a dice pool with it. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I like that. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is then, so you have a certain number of dice. Some are um, thinking between maybe three and five, let's say, dice per class. Every time you want to do something that's relative to that class, you roll your dice. You have chances to fail, chances to succeed, so on, so on. Now say you're in, in the moment, you need to have already done research, or you need to sort of definitely succeed to not die. It's a high-stress scenario. Right. Another option you'll have will be to burn one of the dice off of your pool, spend it permanently, and say, I already did this thing, sort of like spending a fate point. You establish okay. a fact, you uh, create a thing in the field that, that didn't exist in the story before, but now it does because you spent the point. But okay. you've burned that that die off of your pool for that class sort of semi-permanently now when you go to roll that skill in the future you're down one die okay that's interesting and so the idea is you want to prepare for things but if you don't you have this option of sort of automatic success like you do in fate or i think gumshoe has a similar mechanic to this but you of burning these points off your pool but you, you you trade that broad success for harder success in the future when you're just rolling. Right. And then there, that, I think that same studying mechanic will come back into play. Of You can either study something that you don't know about and get a new temporary pool or study for the class you're already taking and replenish that pool. Okay, that makes sense. It's definitely a, a point economy that I'm not sure works right now. But that's kind of the idea that I've had, and I want to work on that. Because I think that's going to be... We should uh, take a look at that and see. Maybe we can even give it a playtest sometime soon. It seems yeah. like a lot of the stuff is near enough that we could playtest with you, at least. Yeah. Because really, ultimately, the character is going to look like a couple of lists to help you decide what the character looks like aesthetically. You choosing a series of classes you're going to take, assigning some die pools to those classes and then setting up all the drama. And then you'll have things to do with other players. You'll have cl- you'll have sort of a story um, list of classes when you want to try to do things or set up pranks or set up... Um, because the idea is that you might be able to, like, use your th- makeup you're learning in your theater class to gross out a friend or to pretend to be somebody else to make them look bad. Um, so it's not just for the sort of supernatural things, but it's to like screw over your friend, not your friends, but to screw over your enemies and the people that you have drama with. You might use your, what you're learning in your physics class to build a listening device to eavesdrop on the girl that you have to crush on to learn more about what she likes. And then someone will probably figure it out or they'll, they'll like stumble into you and see you. And that's how like drama happens. All right. Um, sounds Good. And that's pretty much where I am. The game is not done. This is sort of the core thing, I guess, that I'm 
don't know if that really had a core narrative of that story of the game, but it's it's that you shouldn't be afraid to bail on a game system. If you if you're hacking a system to tell a story and it's just not working, then maybe there's something about the system that is a road blocking you from getting to where that story is. And sometimes you can hack your way out of that. A lot of times you can remove rules, but you shouldn't be afraid to say, this just isn't working. Back away, find another system. Or in my case, find the three different systems, MASH, Fate, and Apocalypse World, and Gumshoe, and maybe in the future the Cypher system, all into one big system uh, that pulls rules from a bunch of different things. Right, this wasn't going to work the way you wanted it to as an Apocalypse World game. Yeah. So moving off of that was a necessary step to get it to the point that you needed it to be. Yeah, and I'm glad that I did it. I regret leaving all that work behind, but in the long run, I feel like I have a game that's almost done now, and we didn't before. Oh yeah, we were way far away. We had a good amount of content, but we were far away from it being done. And, and even if it was close enough to being playable, it, it didn't feel like it was going to play the story I wanted to tell. Yeah, I'm feeling a similar thing with Pasión de los Pasiones, yeah. with having ripped out the entire system and started over. Although I started yeah. over within the same yeah. PBTA framework. It's healthy to do. I think it's a thing that, um, it's probably a thing that John Damas has tweeted about in his writing tutorials. On, on Twitter, uh, which is that sort of sometimes just writing the same thing over and over again really helps you grind out the, the core of what you're trying to say and, and help you say it in the best way possible. Maybe the last thing I want to say about the game is um, now you, the listener, sort of, this is the first time I've talked about this game sort of publicly. I'm curious to know what you think. I'm curious to know how you feel about my sort of weird, fady, apocalypse worldy class system. And, and more than anything else, help me make a title. I don't have a good title for this game. <laughs> so tweet at me, send me title ideas. I've had a couple recommendations that I sort of like, but nothing is really helping me hit that that that, that one or two word thing that's really summing up the game and, and getting... Like I said, I've, had, I've struggled to even just pitch the game aesthetically to people. I'm sure we'll revisit this when I get when I get further along. Oh yeah, definitely. This is one that I've been looking forward to playing, actually, because it is a genre that's a little off the wall. And so that is our topic for today. Yeah. Alright, uh, so I hope that you enjoyed hearing about Academia Game, and I hope that you'll send us potential titles for it, because we need those. Yeah, I really do. So there's a couple quick things that I want to shout out before we call it a night on this recording. Uh, first off, we will be at Metatopia. That is in Morristown, New Jersey. It's run by Double Exposure Games, which is just a fantastic company. It is the best game convention for testing games, because that is what it is all about. And if you're a playtester who just wants to show up and help other people test their games... It's one of the cheapest conventions I think I've ever gone to. It's only $20. 20 bucks for four days? I think it's three days. It's uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right? I don't actually know if there's anything happening on Thursday. Maybe it's just Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which is still a ridiculous value at $20. Uh, and we'll both be there. 
uh, where there's all sorts of really cool folks who will be there. So I hope that you will as well. And if you are a big fan of our podcast and you are a big fan of Modifier, you can check us out. We are doing a panel together uh, on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. I think the panel is D50. Uh, I think it's 050. It's called Hacking Games for Fun and Profit, presented by Megan Dorbrock, James Malloy, and Brandon Leon Gambetta. Uh, the three of us are going to be sitting down to talk about hacking games, when to hack, why to hack, how to hack, uh, running podcasts about hacking, um, having podcast rivalries, all sorts of good stuff. Yeah, it should be a really fun time. Yeah. So that is so many different things that we are happy to plug. We're really excited. It's been great being able to grow as a podcast with you listeners. And we love hearing from you. Yeah. If you would like to contact us, hit us up on uh, Twitter. We are at Stop Hack and Roll. I personally am at Dr. Captain Cobalt. And I'm at End of the Meltdowns. Uh, you can also hit us up by email, the snail mail of the internet, uh, at either James or Brandon at StopHackandRoll.com. And if you've emailed me, uh, tweet at me also, because I've not been great at checking that. But I do check the Facebook page at facebook.com slash stophackandroll. Um, we do have a website where you can find all the episodes, which is just stophackandroll.com. Eventually, it's going to have more stuff on it. It's going to have uh, a list of all the games we've published and stuff like that. And uh, as always, find us on iTunes or Pocket Casts or Stitcher or whatever you're listening to this on right now. Give us a rating. Give us a review. I want to hear what you have to say. Um, and if you're, I know, like on iTunes, if you give a podcast a five star review, it helps boost that show uh, and recommend it to your friends, your enemies, your enemies. Yeah, recommend it to your enemies. That's a really great way to to gain drama on them. Um, yeah. Next time you are stumbling down the corridors underneath the cafeteria, pursued by enormous mantises with frothing mouths. Don't forget to stop, hack, and roll. one of the two places we can breathe from yeah that or our eyes take a drink are we doing that every time you mention fate no no we'd be dead stumbling into the sewers yeah sitting around with some turtles and a rat learning their methods of kung fu and then writing a new part of the game yeah i will fight you for real just come over tweet at me She's ball might be gone.